All right, so we are getting into the book of Acts, and I love the book of Acts. Uh, I love the book of Acts for two, two main reasons. One is it's a history book, and I love history. I love studying about things that have happened in the past, uh, stories, um, different ways that humanity has been molded and shaped throughout the ages. The second reason I like Acts is it's, be, it's about the church, and I love, I love the church. I love studying and knowing about the church. So when you put them together, Acts is a history book about the early church. And we spent a really long time in the book of Mark. I don't remember how long it was. I think it was close to two years. But we got intimately acquainted, acquainted with the book of Mark. And this is now the natural flow and transition into the book of Acts. So in Mark, we asked a question, who do you think Jesus is? And we said that's the most important question for every single person in this room, but also for all of humanity. What, who do you think Jesus is? Because who you think Jesus is affects how you look at the world, how you look at God, how you look at your neighbor, how you interact with the church. And so now when we move into Acts, we're going to ask another question. And I think this second question probably is the second most important question that you can ask yourself as a Christian. And that is, what do you think the church is? First we need to say, who is Jesus? And then we need to ask the question, what do we think the church is? Because the church, we know, is the bride of Christ. It's the thing that Jesus Christ came down to establish. He established it. He died for it. He loves it, and he's coming back for it. And as an elder team, if I'm honest, I don't think we actually know where this series in Acts is going, okay? We don't, but I think we know that there are good things coming. The Spirit of God, I think, is doing a really awesome thing on our elder team. I think it's refining and redefining how we look at the kingdom of God and how the church is a part of that. And so I'm excited about where, where Acts takes us. And so I would, I would really challenge us as a church to, to look at our journey through the book of Acts as like a road trip. Okay? And what's the first question you always ask when you're on a road trip? Not where are the snacks, that's the first question. The second question is, are we there yet? So resist the temptation to say, are we there yet? If you want the snacks, we'll try to have some in the back. But resist the temptation to say, are we there yet? Because I'm going to respond back, and I think Ben and our elders are going to respond back every time by saying, we don't know where we're going. We have a general idea of where we're going, and we're going to get to it today. But I think the Spirit wants to do something really powerful in Central Bible Church, and I'm really excited to see what that looks like. And so Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. Like I said, it's a really natural transition from the Gospels to first four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this now becomes the history or the recorded history of the early church, which Jesus established in the first four Gospels. And so Luke, we know, uh, is a sequel, or not Luke, Acts, is a sequel to the book of Luke. And it was written by the same author that penned Luke. His name is Luke. And we know Luke uh, was a doctor. We, we see that from Paul. Uh, who Luke traveled alongside of Paul throughout his many journeys and uh, recorded and kept track of the many different things that happened uh, with Paul. And it's also important to know anytime you engage with the book of the Bible or really any literature, 
you need to know what's the point of the book. Why was it written? Because if you don't know why the book was written, you're going to miss part of the point. So if you read history like poetry, you're going to think that it's kind of you know, not a, a 100% accurate you know, look at the story. Or if you read wisdom literature like history, you're going to miss the point that the wisdom literature is giving us a lot of really good truths about how life works. And so that's what we're doing here with Acts. It's a historical survey of, how, of the early church. And it's an exciting story. If you've never read the book of Acts in one sitting, I really challenge you to do it. It takes a few hours, but get a pot of coffee going or tea or whatever you want and read it in one sitting. I challenge you to do that while we're in the book of Acts. It's a, it's a book full of, of sermons, of beatings, of stonings, blindness, shipwrecks, snake bites, visions, informants, midnight escapes, and many, many more. You'll even learn some nautical uh, information about how to sail a ship later on in the book of Acts. It's really exciting, and I'm excited to get into it. So if you have your Bible, you should open it up to Acts chapter 1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So we see something really interesting here as we just read through the first couple of verses. So Jesus walked with his disciples for about three years, roughly three years. He, he died. He rose again. That was pretty cool. Nobody's done that before. And then he, he came back and he walked with his disciples and appeared to them on and off for 40 days, teaching them again some of the things that he's already taught them. It was like a review session for the disciples before he ascended back into heaven. And I think it's really interesting. I don't know if you saw this, if you were really looking closely when I was reading, but what, do it, what does he do with his 40 days with the disciples? Well, you see it. He walks with them, and he shows them the 10 best ways to grow your church. Did you see that? No, no, sorry, I misread that. He says, he talks with them for 40 days about how, it, how it's so important to take on social justice issues as a church and to rally together for the common good of humanity. Did you see that? Okay, sorry. He says, no, he's going to emphasize the importance of singing hymns in church. I mean, sorry, contemporary songs. Or not having drums. So I'm getting a little naughty here, and I'm actually trying to offend everybody. Because you, we're going to be offended. Thank you. Thank you. I found that the best way to get your audience to listen is to just offend them. And I know we have a really sensitive culture right now, so that's pretty easy to do. <laughs> but seriously, uh, no, that's not what he came to do. Jesus didn't come to, to the last 40 days, he didn't give them the 10 tricks to grow your church. He didn't show them how to use their website better. He didn't... He didn't show them all these things that as churches now we so commonly think about. He did exactly what he had been doing for the first three years. He said, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. He told, we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. 
Because the kingdom of God is what Jesus came to establish. And so we as, we as 21st century Christians, we have many distractions just like the early Jewish people had when understanding the kingdom of God. See, the early Jewish Christians, they were coming out of, of hundreds of years of, of idolatrous temple worship where their worship was less about God and it was more about the temple and the temple connectedness with God, about rules to follow and laws to make sure they had 100%. And in the same way, we as 21st, evangelical, 21st century evangelical American Christians, we have our own things that blind us. We need to work through our fundamentalist, church growth movement, moral majority, social justice, consumerist mentalities that blind us to really understand what the kingdom of God is all about and about how the church fits into that kingdom. And so throughout Acts, we're going to hit two major themes, and these are going to come up week after week. And I want you to think of this metaphor, okay? Think of the, the DNA double helix. You guys got that in your mind? It spirals up together. And I don't know too much about science, but I can look at a picture. And it looks really cool. It's a double helix that goes up. Think of it like this. You have the kingdom of God as one of them, and power is the other. Those are the two major themes. And they're going to twist together through the whole book of Acts. And the, the kingdom of God is going to reveal the Holy Spirit in and through it, the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the power of the Holy Spirit all throughout Acts is going to reveal the amazingness of the kingdom of God. It goes back and forth. They're interconnected as the story spirals through Acts and spirals up, not down. Well, sometimes it goes down. It's shipwrecks. That's kind of bad. And so the story, it's about the kingdom. And Jesus says this all through his first three years. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's now. It's present. But we also know that Jesus said lots of other things about the kingdom. He said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And when you plant the mustard seed, the tiny seed grows into a big tree. We also know that it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, right? He used that, that saying, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And he says, in fact, blessed are the poor, for they're going to inherit the kingdom of God. And we also know that the kingdom is not here, it's not there, it's right here, it's right in our midst. And so the kingdom is like nothing we have ever seen. It's like nothing the apostles and the disciples had ever seen, and it's like nothing we have ever seen. And Jesus gets into this. So picking right back up, it says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, this is Jesus, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So just like us, the disciples were pretty hard-headed. They don't learn. We're all, we're all that way. Some of us have harder heads than others, like mine. But we all sometimes struggle learning. 
And so Jesus had been working with his disciples for three years, and they are still asking the same question that they had been asking for three years. And their question is, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, they're saying, are you finally going to now kick out those evil oppressors that have kept us from worshiping you in peace and having the power to control our own territory in our own kingdom so that we can just do what we want without those foreigners. They're asking for land. They're asking for land and they're asking for Jewish rule. And that was the question that they'd been asking from the beginning. And so before we know what they really mean by that, we need to understand what they mean by kingdom. The disciples were 100% talking about a physical kingdom ruled by a physical king. We know that. Because we know that they had been under rule, foreign rule, for hundreds of years. They had been, over, they had been run by the, the Persians. They had been overrun by the Greeks. They had been overrun by the Romans. And not only those three major world powers, they had had many battles fought right in their homeland. They were kind of at the crossroads of a bunch of empires coming together, and the Jewish homeland was just kind of the, like the wrecking zone for many hundreds of years. And so they were tired of that, and they were waiting for their Messiah to come to pull them out of that impression and to once again return them to the, the Jewish heyday of King David. They wanted their land back. They wanted a territory with borders. They wanted ports. They wanted agriculture and mining. They wanted cities and towns and roads. And they wanted that to be ruled by a king, an actual king with sovereign power. They were wanting to be part of a great Jewish, uh, not uprising, but reprising, right? Coming back. And so we have to have that idea of kingdom in mind. And that also makes, it more, makes more sense for us as we see in Mark 10 where we know the, the disciples were jockeying for power, right? They're like, who's going to sit at the right hand of God? And it's, it might be easy to, to miss this, but they were jockeying for power in that new Jewish kingdom. They wanted to know who's going to be the one sitting on your right side of the throne as we once again kick out the evil oppressors and, and start our Jewish kingdom, our Jewish ruling again. And so, with all that in mind, we also know that Jesus is the second Moses. We're at the kind of a crossroads uh, with the nation of Israel. Jesus is the second Moses. Just like Moses brought the people of Israel out of the oppression of the Egyptians, out of the slavery, out of the foreign land, he brought them out through the Red Sea, baptizing them through the water of the Red Sea into the wilderness, and then finally, after a number of years, bringing them into the promised land, what they had wanted for so long, what he had promised them. And now we see that with Jesus again. Jesus is bringing the people of Israel out of exile, out of oppression, out of being overrun by an evil power, a foreign power, and he's bringing them back into the promised land through the wilderness, but back into the promised land. The difference, though, is this promised land is not what they think it's going to be like. This promised land is not the same promised land that was at the beginning because Jesus is once again saying, you're going to be ruled by God, not by human hands. And they wanted, and Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that when, when 
when God was first setting up the nation of Israel, it was a theocracy, right? Ruled by God, there was no king. But he also knew that they would want a king like everybody else. All the nations around him had kings. We need to be like everybody else. Woo. But Jesus was not a king like everybody else, and nor was he a human king. He was human, but he was also very much God. And so returning Israel back to a territory ruled by God. And so that's when he says, the times and seasons are all up to the authority of God. And the power you are looking for, I'm going to give you a much greater power than you could ever imagine. A greater power than the world has ever seen. So Jesus goes on to tell them, you will be my witness in Jerusalem. And they're thinking, oh yeah, we're, gonna be our, we're getting our kingdom back. And he says, then you're going to be my witness in Judea. And they're thinking, oh yeah, baby, this is getting better and better. This is the start. We've been waiting for this, right? For three years, they've been waiting for Jesus to, to save them and to set them straight. And then he says, Samaria. And they're like, wait, wait, what? We don't want, we don't want Samaria. We don't, we don't associate with those people. And then he goes on even further. He says, the whole world. And they said, well, we would have just been happy with our homeland, the Jewish homeland, but I guess we'll take the whole world. They had no idea what he was talking about. Jesus knew that the kingdom, the kingdom that he was bringing, the kingdom that was at hand, is a literal physical kingdom, but it's also a literal physical kingdom that doesn't make sense to us as humans. The, the physical kingdom that he's talking about is the land that they stand upon. It's the land that as they, as, as witnesses to Jesus, stand upon, that becomes land for Christ. So before I saw the light um, as a young man, I played a, a computer game uh, called Age of Empires 2. It was a nerdy game. And it was a game, as you can imagine, of building an empire from your computer screen. It was, you know, virtual reality. I didn't have enough reality of myself, so I needed to have some virtual reality. And just like it said, you, you had a kingdom that you started with. And you had a little city, well, it was like a little settlement, and you grew that settlement through technology, through wealth, through raising an army. And then you kind of took over other make-believe kingdoms, for the lack of better words, or civilizations uh, throughout the game. And so the cool thing about this game, though, is that you looked at it from like a bird's-eye view, right? You're looking at the map on the computer from a bird's-eye view, and everything on the screen is black except for the places that your people, your civilization, are. That's where there's light. And so with every kingdom, you have peasants, you have soldiers, you have knights, you, know, you have different people that make up your kingdom. And when you selected your people, you, and you took them into a different part of the made-up map or the world, the, the, the map would go from dark to light, wherever your people went. And as your people moved through an area, it would go from dark to light and then dark again. And I think that's a really cool metaphor, using a silly video game, a cool metaphor of kind of what Christ is talking about here. That wherever my people in this, this game went, and they had, we could see what was going on, that became part of my kingdom. The, feet, the ground that I was standing on, or my people were standing on, was part of my kingdom. And as I moved out of that, I no longer controlled that territory. So I believe this is the metaphor 
the, well, the imperfect metaphor that Christ is using here as he's talking about his new established kingdom that looks nothing like the world has ever seen. And as he's talking to this group of disciples and apostles, this ragtag group of about 120 who are somewhat frozen in fear, they're confused, uh, they struggle understanding concepts that they've been told over and over again, they're not well educated, they're, they're just they're rallying around their leader, and this is what he's telling them. He's saying, where you go, where I'm going to send you, where my spirit is going to send you, Everywhere you go is going to be my territory. It's going to be my kingdom. And it's not a kingdom where you go with swords. It's not a kingdom that you go with power. It's a kingdom that it's at hand, that's present, but it's also a kingdom that's for little children. The poor, the weak, the oppressed. And I think that same kingdom, that same territory that was under their feet, is under our feet here in 2018, Central Bible Church. We are living in the kingdom of God, and the territory that's under your feet is the territory or the kingdom of God. But in the same way that it's here, as soon as we walk out of, these, out of this building, out of these doors, as we go to lunch down at Burgerville, or as we go to Red Robin, or if we go home, the territory of God extends with us because we are there. We are present. We are the witnesses of God. Or when you go to work in the morning, or when you go to school, the territory of God travels with you. Because you, every single one of you, if you know Christ, are his witness. And so just like the early church, we as a church, we need to be, we need to be powered up. But it's not the type of power or the type of kingdom that uses the type of power uh, that we're used to. So this last week, I picked up a book. Uh, it's called The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. Right here, you can see this. I was going to have a slide put up for you, but I'm not good with technology. But that's what it looks like. And I, I picked it up, and I literally could not put this book down. I was supposed to be prepping for my sermon on Thursday and Friday. I just read this book. And it, was, it blew my mind. And so we have a, at least one copy in the back available. And I would encourage every single person in here to read this book because it's all about power. It's about where do you get your power from? Do you get your power from below? Or do you get your power from above, the way of the lamb, the upside-down way of the kingdom? And we don't often think of lambs as powerful, but this book talks about that, that Christ is our lamb, is the most it's the best power that we possibly could have. So if you want a copy, go back there. Really encourage you. The book is written for church leaders and pastors, but at the end it says it's not just written for pastors and leaders. It's written for anybody in the church who wants to understand what it means to have the power of the Holy Spirit in them. I know Larry Steinmetz has read it. It blew his mind as well. And I think, sorry for the book, whatever, but go back and get a copy. I think it's like 11 bucks. And, and so it was really good as I'm reading this book. And the, the idea of this upside-down power, right? We think of this kingdom and the upside-down kingdom. So the way that kingdoms are normally established, like this, Jesus goes like this. And the power is a whole lot different. Instead of gaining control, gaining power and influence, it's constantly giving it away because we, don't, we know we don't need it. And as Jesus is talking to his disciples, they are living in a world and in a reality totally consumed 
with control. Nothing says control and power more than the Roman Empire, right? Like we look back at the Roman Empire, their strength, their power, their ability to build infrastructure, their ability to communicate across their land. They were the pinnacle of power in their day. And so when Jesus said, give up control and find your power in me, he was saying, you know, give up what you're used to and come follow me. When Peter grabbed the sword in the garden and wanted to attack to defend Jesus, Jesus said, put your sword away and grab your cross and follow me. So instead of power and force, it's love. It's giving up that control. It's peace and love. It's, it's not just love, it's peace and love. And so I know some of you might be saying, because I actually asked this question to myself as well, you're probably asking the question, uh, Andrew, that sounds awesome, but does it really work? Uh, and, my, and my answer to you is, uh, I don't know how it works, but I'm convinced it works because we see this in the scriptures over and over and over again as Christ is talking about his new kingdom. If we, if we believe what the scriptures say to us, then we have to believe that Christ's kingdom is built on giving up control, peace, and love, graciousness, forgiveness, humility, compassion. And so, but I struggle with that. As a human, I really, I really struggle with that because I think if we were going to take a vote right now, tomorrow, not right now, tomorrow, because tomorrow's Monday, if we were going to take a vote as a nation on whether to invade North Korea and to, and to overthrow an oppressive, evil regime that kills their people and enslaves them and forces them to not know what true humanity is all about, I would say 100% I'm in, let's invade. Let's stop that evilness. Or what about Syria? If there was a vote tomorrow that said, hey, let's invade Syria to overthrow that, where, where women are being raped, kids are being killed in the streets, and people are being forced into slavery, I would say, yes. Let's, let's do this. But I also know that's not what Christ would do. And that's the, the thing that knots my soul up is that I want justice so badly because the kingdoms that I'm used to are the kingdoms that are built on that control and that power. And that's not always a bad thing, right? Well, obviously, we don't love oppression we don't love a Nazi Germany that is killing people and genocide and all that kind of stuff. But what Jesus is saying is, that's not in your control. The time and the place for those things are ultimately not up to you. And so as Christians, we're wrestling with that upside-down kingdom. We are called to be a force in this world, not of power, at least not traditional power, but a force of peace and love and to trust that God somehow is going to work through some of that. And even closer to home, this last couple of weeks right before Christmas, I was in a serious funk. Like a really, people in the office saw it. I was in a really bad funk. Uh, and I actually left for Christmas to go visit holiday, family for holidays thinking, I don't know if I want to come back to Portland. Uh, and that was all because of pretty stupid things. Um, our church van was stolen a couple weeks before Christmas, and then a week later, my truck was broken into twice in three days. And I wanted to just, like, I'm like, I should just put a note on the side of the truck that said, like, don't bother. The previous guy already took everything. Um, but I didn't, and so, you know, what I had left was then taken as well. 
Uh, and I just, I was in this funk because everything inside of me wanted to get cameras. It wanted to get security lights. It wanted to get weapons. It wanted to start a militia to run off into the mountains and to just get away from this craziness. And then you stop and you realize, why do I want to do that? I want to do that because I want to be in control. I don't want people to mess with my stuff, you know, my stuff that I've worked so hard for, the stuff that God has given me, try to be all righteous about it. I want to be in control. I want to be in power over my kingdom. But that's not the kingdom that God calls us to. And as as Central Bible Church, we have to be the type of community that allows people to work through how the upside-down kingdom works. And that's what Acts is all about. It makes no sense, but it works. And the Holy Spirit compels us to do it, even though we don't understand, but we want it badly. And so I want to be the type of community that seeks love and forgiveness instead of control, that seeks hospitality and generosity instead of power, that seeks patience and gentleness instead of influence. That's the type of church that I want to be a part of, and that's the type of church that I hope all of you want to be a part of, a church where as a pastor, you guys have the grace and forgiveness on me as I slowly work this out for my own life, that I'm not that perfect person, that I don't have to have it figured out right now. That as I learn to give up control to our our Father, you will have patience on me. And in the same way, I want to be the type of pastor that does that with you. That as you are learning to to work through the harsh realities of living in 21st century um, United States, which is quite similar, I would think, to first century Rome. There's a lot of parallels. I want to have the type of patience and generosity and forgiveness with all of you as you are running the race to do that with your own life. That'd be a beautiful church, wouldn't it? I think that's the type of church that you'd want to be a part of. That's the type of church that your friends, as you invite them into, would want to be a part of. And the thing about that church is it's, it's different. It's different because it's not a church that's wanting to grow really big, which, you know, if we grow, that's great, but let's grow for the right reasons. Let's grow because we have people coming in here who are being impacted by peace and love and grace and forgiveness and gentleness that leads to repentance, that leads to being Christians who are doing powerful things in our world. And so what kind of power are you seeking, all of you? I know for me, I seek the power for my kingdom. I want to be known as, as smart and wise and competent, me personally. Those are the things that I, as I was reflecting this week. I want to be thought of as somebody who, I don't need to be in control of other people or their kingdoms, but I do want to be in control of mine, and I want it to be, to be well run. But as I, as, I, as I think and as I meditate, um, and as I'm convicted by that same Holy Spirit that we're talking about, I realize that what drives that is not the power from above. It's not the power of the Lamb. The power that wants me to be competent and and wise and smart, which are good things, right? The Bible wants us 
to be those things. But I'm driven out of, the, of a deep, deep, deep uh, evil power I just, that wants me to do that for my own kingdom. Get that. If you're building your own kingdom, it's not the power of God. I'm telling you right now. But if you're building God's kingdom, and if you're working with him to build God's kingdom, and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the type of power that you want. And so the book of Acts is about an incredible kingdom of God powered by an upside down and backwards power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we ask this question, as I wrap up right now, let me ask this question again. What do you think the church is? I think the answer is connected to kingdom and power. And we're going to see that over and over again as a church, as we discover together what a church looks like that is totally connected with the kingdom of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, like that double helix. Let's be part of that. Let's see what that means. And I think as we truly understand what the kingdom of God looks like, that's when, as a community, we're going to be able to do incredible things for God's kingdom much like the early church does, as we will see for the next few weeks. So let's pray. Lord, we love you, and we confess to you that everything inside of us wants to seek control, wants to seek power, wants to seek influence and domination whether it would be in our own little corner, in our house, with our children, with our spouse, at work, with our friends in our neighborhood, in our church, in our community at large, Lord, we confess um, that uh, we have been striving for things that are not from above, that we have not understood what it looks like to live in an upside-down kingdom that prioritizes not power and control, but that it turns those over to you, and you give us a power that is unlike anything the world has ever seen. A power that compels us to be loving and peaceful, gracious and forgiving to people and to uh, situations that we never previously could have loved. Help us as a church that as we pursue that together, as we pursue a church that embodies those principles of the upside-down kingdom that we would be loving with one another and forgiving with one another, um, that as we are showing each other the hard truths of Scripture and encouraging one another to change, that that wouldn't be because we're trying to control them or control the situation but because we're trying to hand control over to you. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We know that you are good, not only here, but in the world around us. Help us to see that, even though it doesn't make sense all the time, living in the upside-down kingdom that you've given us. In your name, Jesus. Amen.